0: through twenty-five. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, remember, because Peter escaped last time he was in prison, Uh, so Herod's not taking any chance this time. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was was, was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick! Get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your uh, clothes and sandals, and Peter did also. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left to another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Actually, we'll read up to this portion because we're spending our time on that portion. Um, the the next part of that where Herod dies... Um, uh, it's part of the chapter, but we will be spending our time up to the verse uh, 19. So I heard some of you chuckling, but it's kind of a comical situation happening here. Um, it's both uh, sad, tragic, dramatic, and comical, all right? So we got all these things happening in this one chapter. So let's take a look at and see um, what I mean by that, w- by uh, when I say people of the sovereign, all right? Um, I don't know if you caught this when we're reading through the chapter, It starts out by saying that it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And then verse 2, what does it say? He had James, the brother of John, what does it say? Put to death, right? James was executed. It says that right off the bat, in the beginning of the chapter, James was executed. Uh, But we know already, we already read this part. Later down the line, Peter is also arrested after this because after Herod kills, uh, has James executed, he realizes that, oh, Jews like this because he's trying to win the favor of the Jews. Um so it's it's a very political persecution. Remember it was more of a religious persecution before from the other Jews, but now it's sort of turning into a political persecution at this point. We see that kind of transition happening as well or or a political oppression being added onto to religious persecution and so Herod is trying to win the favor of the Jewish people, and he kills James and he's like, "Oh, oh, they like this, and they like me as a result. Well, i'm going to do it again. So he gets Peter arrested now, and we we already know that Peter. We read through this. The church is praying for Peter while he's in prison. And Peter, does he get executed like James? No, he doesn't. He's actually saved in a very dramatic fashion. And we're going to look at that. And so I don't know about you, but when I was reading this passage, my first question was why was it that James was executed and Peter was saved? Was James any less of an apostle or disciple than Peter was? You realize that James and Peter, uh, they were both, uh, what? One of the disciples, right? They were both part of the disciples, the original, the fab 12, right? Or whatever, the the original 12 disciples. They were both, not only were they both part of the original members of disciples, they were also, both were part of the inner three of the disciples. So if you got the 12 disciples, Jesus and 12 disciples, out of them, we, we know that there were three of them that were also more, um, uh, allowed into the inner workings of Jesus' ministry. You know, he would take them when he would pray, and he would, he would show them how he would do things out of the 12. And they were Peter, James, and John. And Peter and James were both part of this inner three of Jesus' 12 disciples. So why was James allowed, left to be executed by Herod, but Peter saved Am I the only one asking this question? Um, So I'm asking this question. I'm like, that doesn't seem fair. Uh, James died, and was the Do you think that uh, church didn't pray for James when he was arrested? I think the church did. Remember, time. It's already been uh, ten something years. Ten some years uh, since the the break. uh uh, the the uh, what do you call it the outpouring of the holy spirit the pentecost and then the persecution breaking out with the the martyr of martyrdom of stephen and it's already been about 10 some years since the church had begun so church knew how to pray and they were in the habit of doing all these things and i believe that when james was arrested the church prayed for him just as much as they prayed for peter so why was james allowed to be executed and not peter My answer, after thinking about it, is that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you're, if you're expecting me to give you some great answer that explained all of this, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I realized, I, I don't know. I don't know. Why? Uh, it seems like they were both of the same status, uh, same level of, of maturity, and the church was praying for, interceding for him just as much as um, uh, they prayed for uh, Peter. Uh, and so I don't know why James was killed and not Peter. So my honest answer is that I don't know. And isn't that true in life sometimes? We just can't explain everything that happens in life. And and, and we, don't, uh, we don't know sometimes until after some time has passed why things happened the way they did. And my honest answer, because... I have to acknowledge that there is a question with this passage and and that I can't, it's hard for me to explain. So I don't know. But the second thing about this that I want to share in terms of, with regards to this question I have is that what I do know is that my question about this doesn't seem fair. Why was James killed and not uh, Peter? This gives away my perspective on death. I don't know if you, you, you get what I'm saying here. I don't know why, but what I do know is that when I ask that question and say, it's not fair, James was killed, Peter was not. It gives away, it reveals how I see death, how I approach death. What I think about death, what I mean by that is, I think of death as something very negative. You're thinking, is it not negative? <laughs> <laughs> okay, just bear with, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing death from a very human, finite point of view. I see death as something that is the end. I see death as something extremely negative with no hope for anything that comes afterwards. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Death is bad because I think it's the ultimate end. And the the reality is even as christians even as we say i believe in eternal life i believe in in the life after death we live our life current life as if we believe that death is the ultimate end and so when i read this and i say god that doesn't seem fair we ask god we question god and we say that's not fair why was james you know killed and peter not Well, we don't know. Like I said, I don't know what God's will is in this whole picture. But what I do see is that my attitude towards the situation, when I ask God this question, is that I'm automatically bringing my human-centered point of view of death into the picture. So I'm saying it's not fair that he died. Of course it's not fair that he died if there is no hope of life after death. Death is not fun. We know that. We, we know it's not something we look forward to, unless you're some weird person, okay, or, or you're, you're like hyper-spiritual people with moderate complex. I know people like that. They want to die. They want to go where ISIS is, and they want to go where these places are, and they, they want not just to evangelize. They want to go to get killed. I know people like that. But, you know, unless you're like that, most people, on average, we look at death, and we don't think— we, we think it's, 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 it's bad, and that's the end, and, and we don't want it. And so we ask, whenever there is death of any kind, we say, God, why? But what I'm saying is that gives away my attitude towards death. But a Christian perspective on death shouldn't be that way. It's difficult, but what we believe about the bible what we believe about the hope that jesus christ gives us through his death and resurrection is that when we look at look at death when we approach death we don't think that that is defined that is the ultimate end of our life that we have hope of life after that so the question can be asked in a very different way then. When I'm studying this passage, when I'm reading, uh, 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 faced with a situation like this in my own life, I don't ask, God, it's not fair. Why, why did that person die and this person saved? In any kind of situation. But I can come to uh, this situation and I come to God with more humility. Help me to understand your will in this situation, in this event instead of asking why did you favor him over her why did he die and she lived it's not fair instead of saying that i come to god humbly lord i don't understand your will i don't understand how you work in every in fact if i the, the point is that if i am able to understand that he's not worthy of my worship because we're thinking on the same wavelength and so I come with humility and I say, uh, ask the Lord, I don't understand, but help me to understand. More than anything, help me to trust in your sovereignty. If I believe, every, if I truly believe everything I say that I believe, then help me to trust in your sovereignty and rest my thoughts in that. As difficult as it is for me to accept certain situations and events in my life, help me to rest in that. Help me to accept that. Help me to... Approach the throne of grace with humility. And as we read on, um, we do see a different situation. James is killed, and we already talked about that here briefly. But we see that Peter is arrested, and what is the thing that the church does immediately? What does the church do? What is the first thing the church does? They start praying, right? They start gathering together, and they start praying. And like I said, did the church pray for James? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure they prayed for James. Did they get the answer that they were looking for? I'm pretty sure they weren't praying that James get executed as soon as possible. I'm pretty sure they were praying for the deliverance of James, but they did not get the answer they were looking for. And I'm sure they were discouraged. I'm sure they were distraught. I'm sure they were down. They were hurt and heartbroken and sad. And almost immediately afterwards, they hear that Peter is arrested now. What is their response at this point? Do they say, it didn't work last time. I'm not going to pray again. Forget it. God didn't answer our prayers last time. Why pray again? No, that's not what they did. What did they do? They immediately go and pray together. Uh, Peter was kept in prison in verse 5, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And later on, down the passage, when, after Peter escapes... He goes to a place, John's place, where the church was gathered together in the middle of the night, praying for Peter. They're interceding, and I think about this. And uh, how was it that they were not? Uh, they were able to continue to pray even after just so so recently just a few days ago maybe even that they know that their prayers were not answered in the way that they were hoping to be answered how is it they're able to continue to pray so earnestly for peter and we're going to talk about this word earnestly in a little bit it's a very important word but they um they didn't say to god you know uh, you don't answer or or they didn't say god doesn't answer prayers and 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 we're not going to pray you know forget it it's all it's all done um and and this, again, uh, just like the first situation where James was saved, but Peter wasn't, um, I, I, I feel like, you know, this is encouraging to me to see in the Bible because I see that even the early church, not all their prayers were answered in the way, way that they wanted it to be answered. And, and I experienced that in my life, and I'm sure we all do. We pray for certain things. We pray for certain situations and, and intervention uh, and, and deliverance from the, from, the, uh, from the Lord. But we don't often receive the answer that we want to receive and I see that it was happening here too so in a weird way that's encouraging to me oh not everything they pray for they got okay so my experience is not unique my experience isn't because I'm more sinful than the early church my experience isn't unique because it's it's you know I'm 2,000 years removed from the early church this is part of our spiritual journey but what I also see is that they didn't get discouraged by that and stop praying altogether and say, I pray for this and I didn't get the answer I wanted, so forget it. They come together and they pray. And what I realized this time about prayer is this. Because often we think of prayer as what? We think of prayer as what? As a way of communicating with God, right? That's how most of us, I don't know about you, most of us, I think, including myself, we think of prayer as a means of communicating with God. I tell him something, and he tells me something. I listen, and he listens. And so we think there is this two-way of communication going, and that is prayer. And we, we, that's, that's how most of us approach prayer. But when I was reading through this passage, and I saw the reaction of the church to the James situation, and also to Peter's situation, what I realized is that I think prayer is more than just a tool of communication for us. What I realized is that prayer is a form of obedience prayer is a form of obedience do you you see what i'm saying there because communication we get frustrated if we feel like there is no if i'm talking to somebody uh, you know whether it's somebody i know or not if if i'm the only one talking or if i'm the only one listening sooner or later we get tired of that because there isn't really communication happening there right and one of us will get tired and we will stop communicating altogether. But what I see here is that prayer, while it is a way for us to communicate with God, the the, the discipline of prayer, spiritual discipline that's called prayer, is also a form of obedience. Even when we feel like I'm not hearing the type of, I'm not getting the communication that I want to receive, I don't feel like I'm able to uh, produce the kind of communication that I want to give to God, Prayer is a discipline that we are to practice in obedience. The church obeyed in prayer. And in that obedience, you may not be hearing all the things that you want to hear. I may not be able to express everything that I want to express to God. I may not be this, is this, you know, experiencing this—you know—experiencing this euphoria, you know, or or spiritual vision like you know people we may know personally, or 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 some occasionally we may do that. But I don't experience all this all the time. But we obey in prayer. We are simply obeying God, and in that obedience our understanding of God, in that obedience, our relationship of God gets deeper and deeper. Why? Because prayer is commanded by Jesus. It's simple as that. Jesus Christ commands us to pray. Matthew 5, he says, pray for those who persecute, even for those people that persecute you. He's saying you pray for them, intercede for them. Matthew 6, he says, and when you pray, he assumes that we will pray, that we should pray. And he says, this is how you should pray, he teaches the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay? And he modeled prayer for us. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed him, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, 26, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. What I see is that Jesus not only commanded prayer, but he modeled prayer. And I'm going to ask you a question. Did Jesus always get the answer he wanted to get from God? He didn't, right? I know that sounds almost like, what? He didn't. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed, what was he praying for? That the cup of suffering, the cross, the impending death, execution, the most horrific form of of death available to to the, the worst of criminals during that time in the Roman Empire. He was saying, If you can take this away from me, God, take it away from me. Did he receive the answer he wanted? No, he didn't. But what does he pray right after that? Not my will, but your will be done. And what I see is that prayer is is a communication, but more than that, prayer is a form of obedience. And, And when we obey, we are taught, we are led, we are trained We are raised up. We are brought closer to the will of God. And what I see is that in this obedience of prayer, the church experiences God's presence and God's grace and God's deliverance and strengthening of their faith. And I want to just point out this one word here. Um, It says in... uh, Verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is a, you know, interesting word because it was. It's the the word earnestly uh, also can be translated as fervently, and it's uh, it's only used three times in the New Testament. And uh, I thought about this and. Uh, uh, you know what the, this word means? Uh, it means it, it comes from the word where it means to stretch out your hands, like you're, you're 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 you know stretching out to you know grab something. You're 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 tense and you're just you you, you know you're completely stretched out. And you know the other time that this word is used is. Is when Jesus was—we just talked about this—was in that Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, and that's the manner in which Jesus was praying. And I don't—I don't think that that Jesus was uh, praying uh, uh, this, you know, nice, soft, very eloquent prayer. You know, oh Lord, if you may take this cup away from me, take—I don't—I don't think that's what he was feeling at the time. I think he was desperate. I think he was—he was. He was Uh, anxious i think he was worried And, and and even though he was willing to obey i believe that he was indeed praying in that manner stretching out his hand to god and saying god deliver me if it's possible if it is if it can be done deliver me lord and we see that in this text the church is praying in that manner they're crying out and they're not just, it doesn't say they were praying. It's that they're earnestly praying. They're, they're intense. They're, 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 it's like their, their hearts, like their hands, like metaphorically speaking, their hands are stretched out up to the heavens and they're saying, praying. They're praying to God for deliverance of Peter and perhaps even more intensely because they just witnessed James being executed. And why, why am I highlighting this word? Because I want to tell you that it's okay to pray like that. It's okay to pray like that. I know some of us, we have very reserved personalities, um, and some of us are very proper, um, and some of us even get uncomfortable when somebody around us are praying fervently, intensely. Intensely. But I want you to know that it's okay to cry out to God, whether you're alone or whether you're in a group. I want you to tell you that it's okay. To cry out to God. If there is something in your heart, if there is an issue, there there is a situation or problem or or concern or thought in your heart that you, that's how you feel. That you feel like, "I, I need God to come and intervene in my life right now. It's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to let yourself be out there. It's okay to expose yourself to God. Why hide before God? Why cover up before God? And the church was praying in that manner for Peter. First of all, I don't pray like this all the time. I don't like scream and, and cry. Like I don't, I don't pray like that all the time. But I do remember times when I do pray like that. And I want you to know that you, you have permission to pray that way. Whatever is heavy in your heart, that you, it's okay to pray earnestly. It's not just jotting down a list of things and then just kind of handing it off to God. I remember when um, we were pregnant with uh, Chloe, our third one. You know, I don't know if you know, Grace is actually older than me. Um, I, she. she she looks younger than me, uh, but, um, or I have to say it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, people are surprised when I tell them that she, she looks, you know, she's older than me, but uh, she's older than me, and, uh, you know, we, we had our uh, third child relatively late um, in our marriage, I guess, and... Uh, you know, but we—it wasn't an accident. We planned, and you know, uh, we we did want a third, or she wanted a third child. <laughs> um, she convinced me, and and uh, I said, "Fine, I will allow you this gift of life." You know, <laughs> I said, "I will avail myself to you." You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, you know how they say the the older you are when you have your 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 baby. Yeah. Oh, I. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What What does that mean? Okay. I'm already in trouble, Um, uh, but, you know, we were concerned because she wasn't in her 20s anymore, you know, Um, and so we, we, uh, she was pregnant, and and, uh, we went to the doctor, and, you know, they do that testing, right, the screening uh, for different things for the baby, Uh, uh, and uh, the test came back, and they called us in, and they're like, you know, everything looks fine, except... Your uh, baby uh, getting a chance of the baby getting a Down syndrome because uh, they do this test is actually extremely high, and they told us numbers. I forgot the numbers, but she, the, even the doctor was like, "Yeah, this is really high," um, and this was in, in China. And, um, and she said, "You know, because um, the numbers are really high," uh, she kept emphasizing that it was really high. Um, she said, "You know, abortion is an, is an option if you guys want." Um, And uh, we're like, you know, we had never even that never even entered our minds. And we're like, but you you think about these things or or theorize about these situations, right? Hypothetically speaking. And then you you you, when you're when you hear it, you're like, well, uh, the paper, the test, the medical scientific test says the probability of your child being born with this defect is is off the charts. It's really high. So you can go ahead and have it, or we have other science available for you where you can get rid of this problem, okay? Um, and it's actually interesting being in that situation. You think about it, it's like, oh, I'll never, you know, act, but actually being faced with this situation, you, 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 all of these things are running through your mind. And of course, um, I mean, you guys all know Chloe, so, <laughs> you know, we, we said, uh, yeah, that's not that's not our option. Even though uh, the numbers say it's really high, uh, we, we don't we don't believe that's right. So we, we're gonna uh, we will have have the baby, and then we went home, and we still had like how many trimesters? Like two trimesters? Well, there's only three total, so there are like two <laughs> trimesters <laughs> left. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, oh, uh, and and but we we couldn't talk. we were like, what do we do with this information? It's like it's not 100, percent but it's really high. So you know and uh, and Grace was praying, and she said that, I think that um, we need to pray through a psalm every single night over the baby until we give birth, and so I said, I said okay, well, you know, what else is there for us to do, really, and, and just from that, that, that night until Chloe was born, every single night, we let our hands on Grace's stomach, and we were just crying out to God. We went through the psalms, and 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 we were we were praying we were praying that that God would deliver this baby. And, and, and more than that, you know, and, and one thing I did notice, I don't know if she remembers, but our prayers began to change. Initially, we started praying like, God, take this away. Take this, not the baby, the, 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 the condition, the chance, the probability, all whatever, the, you know, chromosome issues, all this stuff. Lord, take it away. Heal this baby if there is any problem. And, and we don't know if that is what happened. But th- while we're praying through the Psalms and praying earnestly like this, our prayers begin to change. Even if this baby is born with issues, help us to receive with grateful hearts. Give us the strength to love this baby. And so I see that, you know, prayer, and, and, and I don't know if something supernatural happened or if maybe the baby was fine all along because after all, it was just a probability you know, uh, that, that she was born for, I don't know that. But what I do know is that in those months of earnest praying, while we felt like our communication was one way to God, in fact, we were just obeying through the discipline of prayer. And in that obedience, our faith grew. We grew to trust in God. We grew as difficult as it was. In that earnest prayer, we were finally able to confess, Lord, we, we, will, we will receive this gift of life with grateful hearts. Even if we think it's a defective gift. And I, I, I don't say that lightly. I'm, 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 you know, and, so, and I don't mean to offend anybody here either with that. Um, and so, through the obedience of a discipline called prayer, even though I felt like the communication was one way that whole time. Not once did God ever say during those months, I have heard your prayers, don't worry about the baby. Never, never. You want me tell you, we were in the delivery room, and the nurse were saying, okay, it's time to push. You got to push, you got to push. And I'm like, okay, it's time to push, Grace. And (laughs) she's not pushing. She's not. I'm like, are you okay? The nurses are like, doctors, you know, they're like, are you okay? Why aren't you pushing? And she's like, I don't want to push because I don't want to see what comes out up to the moment because what if, what if? She didn't want, like literally the doctor was, like, okay, you got to push. You got to push. And I was say, you got to push. You got to push. Like, she's like, shut up. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know. She didn't. She, she was just like, oh, just, just, you know, oh, I don't want to. I can't. I can't. even to up to that moment. But it was through that prayer, even though we felt like it was one-way communication, we obeyed practicing that discipline of prayer, and our faith grew as a result. I'm not going to pretend to, to, to you know, stand here and say that, well, you know, if, even if it was a baby with you know, health issues, um, that we would have been totally fine. Of course not. But you understand that our approach going to that place, our faith grew in prayer, even though we were not hearing from the Lord in the way that we wanted to hear through that time. And finally, from this text, what I learned is is that we should be prepared for the unexpected when we pray. Okay? I know that sounds like weird because how can you be prepared for the unexpected? Everyone always says you got to prepare for the unexpected. It's like, sh- be quiet. How do you prepare? I mean, that it just doesn't work there. You cannot, it's unexpected. That's why you can't prepare for. But what I'm saying is, uh, even though it sounds odd to say that, but listen to this one more time. When you pray, prepare for the unexpected. You know why? Because what I see is that judging from their reaction, we'll look at it, but we when we pray the uh, the extent of our prayer is it only goes a lot of times oftentimes most times for me it only goes as far as i allow my logic my mind and my ex- previous experiences and uh, what i think is common sense that's the limit to how much i pray for my, what are the answers i'm praying for that's as far as they go so even though you even though I, i'm you know you say you got to pray, you know, all these things. What I'm saying is we don't pray for the unexpected. We pray for the expected. So you look at the text today, right? The church was earnestly praying, and they don't tell you, you know, exactly how they prayed, uh, like in terms of the content and things like that. I'm guessing for the deliverance of, of, of Peter, um, and they were praying, and it, the night that even Peter was rescued, and it's, it's a super, and you know, I'm not. By the way, I'm not spending a lot of time on what happened in the prison because in the book of Acts we've already seen so many supernatural things happening, and so you you're kind of beginning to see the pattern here. Um, and so, uh, but once he was rescued, even himself was kind of dazed. Am I dreaming or what's going on? And you know. Um, Uh, and he's out out of the prison he's like oh i'm actually like outside the angel just delivered me he goes to uh, the house of john um i don't know if he knew that that's where they were or not but he goes there and he knocks and the girl freaks out so he hears a voice you know she's he's knocking on the door and and servant girls like without opening the door because you know you want to be safe you don't want to open the door for anybody in the middle of the night she's like who is it you know and and it's Peter, and she's like, ah, and then she just runs back into the house, and Peter is just kind of, uh, hello, you know, hello, I'm here, you didn't even open the door, you're leaving me hanging here, um, and then, this is so funny, she goes back, and, and where everyone is praying, and she tells them, Peter is here, Peter is here, And what is their response? The holy people, the apostles, the church, the leaders, the elders, whatever they were, they were gathered here. They were not sleeping. These were the people that were extra holy, okay? They were praying in the middle of the night. Their response, when the girl runs in and says, Peter is here, as they're praying earnestly, Lord, deliver Peter, save Peter, bring him back to us. The girl comes and Peter is here. They go, you're crazy. (laughs) Do you see what's happening here? They're praying earnestly. Deliver Peter. Peter here comes. They're like, that can't be true. That can't be true. My typical prayer would have been something like, Lord, please move Herod's heart so that he'll go easy on Peter. You know, please don't let the soldiers torture him too much. You know, I may pray like, deliver Peter, deliver Peter, but, you know. Or, or even like, please send your angels to protect our brother Peter. Yeah. But when God actually answers our prayer in a way that is completely unexpected, I'm, I'm willing to bet that all those people that were praying, they were fully expecting to wake up the next day and go through that trial. That's going to go super fast. And then he would get executed the same day. I'm, I'm, I'm betting my money on the fact that he, they were praying as fervently as they were, but a lot of them were thinking, we're going to get up in the morning, we're going to go and witness this trial, just to put a, just, just a show of a trial, and he'll get executed. You know? When we pray, we need to take not just God out of His box that we put him in, but we need to take our prayers out of the box. Our prayers are so confined. We pray for the, the expected things. We pray for things that will make sense to us. Everything else we pray for, it's like, one of, it's like the prayers that we say we believe, but we don't believe type of prayers. You know, we don't fully, but God is not good. You know? And when their the prayer is answered in a way, just spectacularly, they're like, you're crazy. That's not possible. You know, we were reminded of a friend, actually. I, I forgot about this. Uh, it's one of those stories. Um, before we went to China, they're, they're friends from here. Um, and they, they came to send us off at our home and, and, you know, have a meal with us and pray for us. And and while, you know, during that time, the the guy, the brother, the guy, uh, he, he shared his, one of his stories with us. And, uh, you know, he said that one day he was... Um, well, he had been going through a certain season in his life where he was struggling with sins and, and just doubting God and all these things and, and feeling condemned by God and all these things. And he was in his car driving and his sister was right in, sitting right next to him. And uh, he, he told us the story. And uh, he, he, in his, in, inside, there was a storm, you know, spiritual storm going on in his life. And inside, he was just thinking with his sister right there, just God, you know, I don't, um, you can't love me i'm how i'm I'm such a terrible sinner, like I've done all these things, and, and how can you love me? How can you still call me your 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 beloved child and And he's just, you know, have you ever been that like that you're with somebody? They have no idea what's going on with you, but inside there's like a storm raging, you know, and you're just you know and if you could like kind of see. Uh, A a section like a cut section you know of of the two people it's like this person there's like a storm inside and this person there's like a sunshine and birds chirping and but you're like sitting right next to each other you know you have no idea that's what was going on and and he was like this intense spiritual struggle prayer going on while he was driving and uh he was he was saying that god you can't love me you don't love me like how can you love somebody like me and then all of a sudden all of a sudden his sister just out of nowhere just out of nowhere um uh, just goes mayo just goes mayo she just uttered those, those two words As th- so those of you who are not of Chinese background mayo is, is, a, is a, not a mayonnaise short for mayonnaise but mayo means you don't have like I don't have don't have right um, they're both Korean Americans by the way okay um, and uh, and he freaked out like he just stopped the car like he's like what did you just say and then I don't know, what did I just say? <laughs> you know, I'm like, like, I don't know, like she said mayo, but she's like, I don't know what that means. I just, I just you know, I felt compelled to say those, that word. And <laughs> what he was praying at that right before she said that was he was saying, my sins, what about my sins? What about my sins? All the sins that I committed. And, and and she said mayo. There I don't have. There is no. There is none. It's all gone. Don't have. Now I told you they're Korean Americans. The guy when he was little, he was he grew up in Korea when he was little. Um, the parents, the mom, not the parents, because uh, it was just with the mom, single mom uh, raising them. But the mom had put him in a Chinese school, one of the original uh, Chinese schools in South Korea. This was like in the 80s, the early 80s. Um, where most uh, 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 Korean Chinese people would go to school, right? So Koreans wouldn't go there. But she forced him to go to that school because she foresaw that in the future, Chinese are going to take over the world. You need to learn Chinese. And I mean, that's, you know, very ahead of uh, time, you know. Um, Now, immersion schools and all these are everywhere. But back then in Korea, you know, And he hated it, because he went to just regular Korean uh, public elementary school, but all of a sudden, when he got to junior, we're not even talking first grade. When he got to seventh grade, she she put him in Chinese school. She couldn't speak a lick of Chinese. He couldn't speak, and he hated it. He hated it, but he was forced to learn Chinese. And he finished, and then they came to the States, and he hadn't spoken Chinese ever since then, right? And, but another thing that he was bitter about was, out of all his siblings, he was the only one that was forced to study Chinese. So none of the other uh, siblings studied Chinese. And so fast forward to this point, he was driving with the sister, he was going through a season in his life, living a sinful life, struggling with all these things and thinking, God has abandoned me, he doesn't love me, what about all my sins? And he's thinking to his childhood and all the bitter, like all the things with his mom and his dad, all the issues, and he was saying, and all my sins, what are you going to do about all my sins? And the sister, just sitting there, not knowing anything that's going on in his mind, just suddenly feels compelled by the Spirit to say, "Mayo." And she has no idea what that word means. And he said he just began to sob. When we pray, we are, you know, we, we not only put God in a box, we put our prayer in a box. And I really want to both challenge and encourage all of you, and including myself, to stop doing that. And if you feel like, God, it's a one-way communication, I want you to encourage you right now to continue, persevere, keep praying like the early Church. They, they were praying for their beloved disciple, James, okay, brother of John, the one of the inner three. You, you know, if anyone was going to, not him, but he was killed. They were praying for him, but they didn't get the answer they wanted. Did they say, ah, screw this, forget it. God doesn't answer our prayer. If he doesn't deliver James, what about me? No, they kept on praying. They persevered. And like I said, I don't know why God answers in the way that he answers. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is yeah, right now, bam. He blesses you. I don't know. I'm not God. But that prayer is a form of obedience. So let's go with the Lord in prayer right now. And what I'm gonna ask that you do right now is